All right, welcome to A Shame to Throne, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's um, long walk up a short pier of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. How are you, Doug? Eh, you know, I just uh, feeling 10 pounds lighter. Um, just got out of the restroom. Uh, this is a rare uh, daytime recording of this show uh, and uh, the, or taping of the podcast. And uh, this feels a lot worse when you do it in the, the light of day. I feel like yeah. uh, <laughs> night, night makes this activity a little bit more acceptable. I feel awful. What is going on with you today, I buddy? I don't know, man. I'm not drunk. That's the thing. Yeah, that's a real problem for everyone. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're here to talk about Season 4, Episode 2, uh, The Lion and the Rose. Um so what did you think about it? Uh coming off a turd sandwich, uh this this was a pretty good one. And the, the 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 entire wedding was really good, I thought. Um the 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 part of the show devoted to the wedding. And you know what's interesting is George R. R. Martin actually wrote this episode and he initially wanted the wedding to be the entire episode, almost like the Battle of Blackwater. Oh, that would be great. But, uh, yeah, D and D talked him out of it. And you know, some of the things that they did with the uh within the wedding if they would have had like an hour of like just these interactions oh, between I these characters, it. that would have been fucking incredible. Jamie and Loris, but I think D and D were supposedly too worried about not checking in with the rest of the. Uh, oh Jesus, those guys! Yeah. Have every instinct they have, you just do the opposite. I think uh, because yeah. if and and correct me if you if you disagree, but I think the other scenes and the other characters were pretty much a waste of time. Yes, yes, I agree. There's a couple of little things here and there, but I mean, just the entire episode devoted to the wedding. Uh, I, I think would have been a lot better. Uh, yeah, I, I will say I enjoyed this episode as well. Uh, and I don't know if it's because the back half made up for the the front half. Uh, but I thoroughly liked it. I liked all the weird, awkward, almost like um, not quite Curb Your Enthusiasm awkward interactions, but some of them were like that uh, cringeworthy and you know pleasant surprises. We got a Queen of uh, Thorns and Tywin uh, discussion. Uh, you got some shit talk with, um, you know, the, the Viper, uh, and the Lannisters. It was some great, um, yeah, great character development, you know, not so much. I think this might've, this might've been the sassiest episode out of every episode. (laughs) And that's saying something and it was pretty goddamn sassy. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it had a real focus on, um, the characters in, uh, verbal sparring and, uh, I, I don't know. I enjoyed the shit out of that. Um, so let's get into it. Oh, yeah, so uh, the episode opens with a young couple happily frolicking in the woods on a beautiful day, uh, but the sle- scene slowly gets dark as it becomes apparent that things are not as they seem. Oh, no. Turns out it's Ramsey uh, and his main side piece named Miranda, uh, also with the in tow, now Reek. Uh, they're chasing a young girl down, uh, hunting her with dogs, just for fun. Uh, after what seems like a lifetime of a chase, uh, the girl is shot in the leg by Miranda with a bow and arrow. Um... While she's down and surrounded by the dogs, Miranda and Ramsey discuss how they're going to dispatch her, uh, while Theon just kneels there obediently um, and listening to the girl's poor, desperate cries for help and mercy. Uh, Ramsey jokes about uh, how um, how she's pretty and it's making Miranda jealous and decides to sick the dogs on her, um, once again because the dogs uh, did all the work. Uh, we hear the sounds of the girl being uh, torn apart and screaming, with a close-up of Theon's face as he just, you know, shudders but does nothing. 
garbage. Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah, no point. Unnecessarily I wanted, brutal. I wanted you. I, I I wanted you to go first because I I I don't know. I hated this. It's pointless and just I mean brutal for brutality's sake. This sucked. Do you think and, and do you, uh, what this reeked of too? And the transition that's coming up in, to, into the next scene. I feel like this reeked of somebody like thinking they were doing something clever, but it just didn't hit at all. Like um, or, or I don't care. Listen, I don't. First of all, I don't know anybody or care about any person that's involved in this whole opening scene. The only person that we know is Theon, and we don't like him that much. Um, no. So I'm not, I mean, yes, there's a girl being chased, but I don't know who she is. Uh, she could be innocent. I really don't care. Um, is This just didn't hit for me. I, I just thought it was, yeah, pointlessly cruel and it's not doing anything, but I guess, once again, Theon is the main point here, and it's just showing him being beaten and given up, and I thought we had plenty of that, so why do we need this? No, you even have a better example of it later in the episode. You're so 100% what? right. Yeah, so what was the point? I guess to show uh, how cool like Ramsey is. Yeah, and you're right. It's just I filler. Guess. And after you you shared the point that uh, this was supposed to be all wedding, uh, you know, I would have rather seen, you know, Loris and Jamie talk for another 10 minutes than this bullshit. Oh, yeah, exactly. So let's move on. Uh, Tyrion and Jamie are at a dinner. Uh, there's some opening japes between each other. Jamie complains that he is no longer able to fight. Tyrion's response is to let people defend him as the rest of the Lannisters do. Jamie is uh, concerned about assassins because he uh, he is the Kingslayer. He's afraid that he'll be slayed. So they decide that he needs to train in secret, and Tyrion has just the guy, uh, Mr. Bronn. Cuts to Bronn and Jamie in a secret place where apparently Bronn commits adultery. Uh, Bronn makes some jokes. Some of them land, some of them don't. Uh, but then Bronn and Jamie begin training. Bronn is up to his normal dirty tricks and uh, kind of cut out on them just uh, fighting. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you, you commented on it, but I, I felt the same way about Braun. And I, I chalked it up to not being partnered with Tyrion. I feel like Braun mm-hmm. and Tyrion make a good team for jokes. Uh, but here he just comes off as kind of a dick. Um, yeah, agreed. And this is a, this is a show invention. I, I'm sure that you remember yeah. in the book, Jamie does go to train with someone else, but it's Ilan Payne. Yeah, and there's the a good reason. He, yeah, and there's a good reason he can keep his mouth shut because he doesn't have a tongue. <laughs> yes, and so that dude uh, who played Ellen Payne apparently was a, a, a early punk rocker in the British scene, mm-hmm. and he um, was diagnosed with a cancer while he was acting for Game of Thrones. Instead of replacing him, they phased him out and inserted Bronn, which is actually for the purposes of the show. I think it's better uh, better to have Bronn. Uh, going back and forth with Jamie as opposed to just a guy being silent and I don't know Jamie talking to him. I, I don't. So. I see. See, I would agree with you there. Um, but remember how I comment that uh, on the show we don't get the characters' inner thoughts and inner monologues. This would have yes. been a perfect excuse for Jamie to just oh, yeah. rant and rave. But once again, I, I think that doesn't matter since they've decided to mute, if not totally get rid of Jamie's redemption arc. Um, but I would have loved to hear Jamie talking about how conflicted he is about his sister, um, how he feels conflicted that he kind of wants to be honorable and save the Stark girls um, just to spite everybody else. Um, I would have loved that shit. But once again, I, under- I understand the economy of characters. Um, but yeah, normally I would agree with you, especially because the guy they chose uh, died or or got really sick. Um, well, apparently he was refusing treatment. 
and then underwent treatment and is perfectly fine now. Oh wow! So, okay. Yeah, but they yeah. They, they, I don't know if it was partially out of respect or just to get brought in more. I'm not entirely sure what the the motivation is because they've replaced other people before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I would our, say our the, third mountain. Yeah, third Jesus. I would say the only other thing I of note I I would take away from the scene is or the previous scene is uh, we find out that Jamie's hand isn't all gold; it's gilded steel. Yes. So we were arguing about that last episode that comes out. That's nice. Yeah, which steel would actually hold up better? It'd be stronger and yep. still have some weight to it and allow him to bludgeon people as he does later in the series. So yep. All right, but so, in the book, I believe it is a solid gold. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows? Like I said, uh, we're uninformed, um, but we favor the books. Um, so, uh, Roose Bolton and his wife return to the Dreadfort. Uh, they are greeted by Ramsey, and Roose is eager to see Theon. Uh, Locke, the guy who cut off Jamie's hand, I guess is pals with Ramsey, and they bond over their shared uh, interest in hurting people. Um, they joke about the cutting off Jamie's hand. Uh, later, Ramsey uh, introduces Theon to his father, and Roos is upset that Ramsey has abused such a valuable captive. Um, Ramsey tries to justify it by saying that uh, the Boltons have been playing people forever, and Roos is quickly to slap him down and remind him that he's just a lowly bastard and not a Bolton. Um, Roos also explains that he needed Theon to trade the Ironborn who control Moat Kaelin uh, to exchange that, uh, the prisoner for... Moat Kalen, which is a choke point um, and key to controlling the North, um, he had to. Uh, Roos actually had to sneak in to his own uh, castle through his own lands because he couldn't get his army through the neck, which they probably should have did a better job explaining. Um, Roos is also pissed that uh, Ramsey um, participated in an unauthorized negotiation with foreign entities. Um, hmm, I don't see a. This seems familiar. Uh, but also, uh, as a display of power, uh, Ramsey then gets Theon to shave him um, by putting himself in a vulnerable position uh, and also revealing, getting Theon to reveal the fate of the Starks. So Ramsey was able to get this valuable intel by torturing the shit out of Theon and he's justifying it. Um, he also, Ramsey also pushes the issue um, while Theon's shaving him. Uh, by telling him that Rob Stark is dead for the first time, trying to goad uh, Theon into making a move, or you know, illustrating that he owns him, uh, Theon just takes it. I guess because he's either broken or a fucking coward. Um, either way, Roose decides to act on the new information about the Stark boys. He sends Locke after him, and they figure that Jon Snow is the first uh, place to start since you know he's um, half brother to the boys. So he sends John Locke, or I don't know if John Locke, Locke to uh, Castle Black. Ramsey also points out that uh, John Snow's survival could be an eventual threat to the Bolton's power. Um, and, you know, and that's so I guess Locke is going to try to kill John. Um, then Roos decides to set Ramsey a task. Uh, the task is to take Moat Kalen uh, for recompense for all his fuck ups and a possible reward and. Uh, Dangles legitimization in front of him uh, if he succeeds. So a lot going on. Yeah, there. I, 
a lot going on here. Um, first, I always like how Roos, the, the first thing he says about Ramsey is my bastard. It always <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Uh, he just can't let it go. Uh, I did like the touch uh, of uh, Ramsey and Locke, how they're both fucking creeps, and it seems like they're best friends because they're they're creeps, like they're excited about maiming people. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but Roos is absolutely – yeah, Roos is absolutely right. Uh, he was right in the beginning to 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 – chastise Theon or chastise Ramsey because Ramsey's completely out of pocket. You know, Theon's value is his dome. I mean, his, his value is the ability to right. carry on the family line. Without that, I mean, it's, you know, he doesn't have much value to, to bail on. Um, so... Plus, it seems like dumb luck that that they have a way around it, like that they got this intel about the Starks. It doesn't seem like it was strategically done. You know what I mean? It seems no. like... Ramsey just wanted to hurt him. Oh, and uh, everything's fine because we just so happen to have this intel about the Starks. Um, well, and also Ramsey is lying to him about trying to negotiate with B- Balon. Yeah, he really did. Well, the negotiation was just get the fuck out of the land, out of my land, <laughs> get off my land. Yeah, that's it. He sent this. <laughs> but the, the, he's he's already negotiating by sending the dick. He has he sent his only piece of leverage. So why yeah. would Balon get out of there now? Now the the captive is uh, a worthless captive. So I mean, he completely undercut any effort. I mean, I don't know if it was purposeful or just because he's a maniac and is not thinking through his consequent the consequences of his actions. But he's such a brilliant uh, strategist later in the show that it seems odd that he would do that in this instance. You know? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, Ramsey's character doesn't make sense at all. Like. We talked yeah. about how much he's a fucking cartoon, especially in season was it five or six. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he's not. And that takes away of how scary he is because he doesn't really have. <laughs> he's not consistent. He's not a fleshed out character. He's just he's incredibly smart when he needs to be and incredibly ruthless and uh, or just like brutally, um, uh, I guess. Uh, how do I want to say this? He's he's uh, quick to action without thinking in other times, and it just seems to be no. Um, I don't know. He doesn't seem like a real person at all. I don't know. No, not at all. No. Kind of rambled on there. I was hoping you'd save me, but you kind of just sat there and let me talk. No, <laughs> no. <I'm good. laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, yeah. The, the, the Moat Kalen. Uh, they haven't even talked about Moat Kalen. I guess they've mentioned it in passing, but I feel like on a show like this. Or in a TV show when there's so many fucking places and so many people, like I, I expect the average TV view- viewers, like, well, what the fuck is Mo Kalen? Um, I don't think we've been there. Well, yeah, no. And the only thing that we really get to set that up is just uh, Ru saying, "I was forced to sneak into my own lands" or whatever the hell. Yeah, but he should have so. he should have said something like, "Oh, my armies are still waiting on the other side and they can't get in," which I think is the whole point of him taking Mo Kalen now. Um, I don't know if that was hinted at, but they should have made that more explicit in my mind. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. What happens next? So we go to Varys and Tyrion. They meet in a garden. Uh, Shea has apparently been made. Tyrion wants Varys to lie for him, but Varys declines. He's got no one to protect him from the wrath of the Lannisters. Varys offers to help Shea leave, but Tyrion knows that she will not. So there's a transition to a rehearsal brunch. Uh, Mace provides a gift, which is to um, to the uh, to soon to be betrothed Joffrey. It's a sweet pimp cup. Uh, Cersei points out to Shay, to uh, Tywin uh, Shay 
and so we know now it's going to be curtains for Shay. They actually did identify her this time. Uh, Tyrion then presents a gift to Joff, which is a book um, detailing some nonsense. I don't know. Joff thanks him. Actually seemed kind of genuinely appreciative in the moment. Uh, so then Tywin brings his gift to Joffrey, and it's a Valyrian steel sword, the other half of ice, uh, Ned Stark's sword. Joff goes out, swings it around, and then just destroys Tyrion's gift, which is pretty funny. Um, and so he, uh, then uh, Joff solicits names of his sword, and he decides on Widow's Whale, and then taunts Sansa with it. Yeah, so uh, let's start with... Um when Cersei points out who Shay is to Tywin, Tywin says, send her to me at the tower. Is this where Tywin starts fucking her? I don't know. And I, because I think this seems to be like on the same day, all of this stuff. Yeah. I get, so I, I don't know. Something happens between when, I, I don't, I don't think we ever know. Yeah. We never find out a lot. Yeah. Because later on it says, Bronn says that he put her on the ship, which is an obvious lie, or maybe she did get on a ship and turned around. Who knows? She, she basically didn't leave the capital. And if she did, she, no, I don't think back. she did. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think once you're on a ship like that, it's not turning around or anything. Uh, so I guess the implication, I don't know. It's either the Lannisters got out ahead of it and figured out how to get her from the ship or Bronn betrayed Tyrion um, to for to the other Lannisters. And I don't know which one it is. I, I'm going to, for I don't simplicity's think, sake, I'm going to say that both Bronn and Shay got made by uh, Tywin and they're in his pocket now. I think so. I mean, I think that makes the most sense because I don't think that Bronn is ever and the rest of the series so far that Bronn is ever that tight with Tyrion again. Uh, I think Bronn visits him in jail and is just kind of like, I can't help you. You're stuck. I can't be your champion. So, yeah. I mean, this might be, uh, that might have been what happened. It's kind of disappointing that we don't know either. Uh, yeah, that, I That would have been a loose and I like tied up. <laughs> I agree. A hundred percent. Also, I did like uh, Mace Tyrell is the best even right now. Uh, when Joffrey sacks <laughs> the book up, uh, and the book was, you know, it's it's just like a chronological or a chron, uh, uh, documenting the um, rule of four different kings that were great and, you know, kind of like it's a, just a history book. It's a history book, but basically there's no guideline to ruling, I guess. And I guess the only thing you can do is read what other kings did to inform yourself on what to do and maybe learn from whatever wisdom they can impart uh, or uh you know or whatever he it seemed to be a genuine like gift on Tyrion's part like you know it's like i don't like you being the ruler but i want you to succeed so i'm gonna give you this book uh so it seemed like yeah. a genuine gift on Tyrion's part and i agree with you it was played really weird where joffrey seemed to show genuine um gratitude for the gift like uh, Unless, I mean, if he knew he was getting his sword later, then he would do that just to fuck with Tyrion right. further, you know? But it seemed like he was surprised uh, by the sword. Yeah. Yeah, so then it just, just the he has brief flashes of uh, being reasonable and then just turns into a lunatic immediately after. But anyway, after uh, Joffrey smashes up the book, he heads back to his table and everybody's like awkwardly looking ahead, you know, kind of not making, looking at Joffrey and just staring. But Mace is looking at Joffrey and smiling like, oh, this is fine. Oh, I didn't even notice stamp. that. Oh, it's great. There's a little detail I noticed, and it was terrific. Um, okay, so right after this, we go into uh, more Tyrion. He's back in his bedroom, and guess who's there? Uh, who shows up? Shay. Uh, she wants sex. Tyrion puts his foot down and says, 
you have to get out of here now. Uh, you know, the shit's happening. He, uh, you know, his father basically doesn't come right out and say his father knows who she is. Or maybe he does. I don't care. Uh, but he basically, you know, knows that Tywin will probably kill her or he's not going to make false threats like Varys uh, insinuated. But Shay continues to give him pushback, talking about, you know, we can fight him, you know, we can do this. I know it's you said it's dangerous, but we can win. So basically, uh, Tyrion has to pull the old, uh, you know, when the dog won't go away, so you start throwing rocks at it bit. Um, and he starts calling her a whore and says, you know, basically she's unfit to be married. He can't marry a whore. He can't have uh, kids with a whore. Um Basically, it was very, and then he asked her how many men she's been with. It was very reminiscent of the movie Clerks when he asked how many dicks have you sucked. Um, sure. <laughs> but you can see it was, it pained Tyrion to do this, uh, but he had to be cruel to be kind because it was, uh, he loved her so much he wanted to protect her and her safety was of top priority, not her feelings. So he eventually at the end has Braun come in to escort her um, to her ship. Bronn gets slapped for his troubles, and uh, Shay leaves. Hmm. Good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> or so I thought. So I thought. So we all hoped. Um, yes. But yeah, uh, I thought Tyrion or uh, Dinklage did a great job acting here. Like he, you know, not looking her in the eye, but but like, you know, saying these vehemently awful things about Shay to her face. But the his facial acting was great. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But it was just painful because it involves Shay and just her being so oblivious. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it, this is, I guess, it's it just shows how not good of an actor uh, Shay is by comparison, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, thank God she's gone. <laughs> She'll be back, but shortly. Oh. Uh, um, all right. So next we go to Dragonstone, and Mel is burning people, uh, apparently including Selyse's brother, Stannis's wife's brother, uh, while Stannis stands in grimaces. Uh, after the burnings, the, the people kind of explode a little, and Selyse believes that it's their souls escaping. Uh, Davos confronts Stannis about the uh, burnings. Stannis says that they were infidels and refused to tear down their idols. Um, and Selyse is uh, happy because... Uh, the uh, she's Looney Tunes. Um, yep. It's and this is a change from the book as well. They they I don't think this actually happened. And I it, but I think there was I read this online. There was a mention of these people being burned, but it was actually for uh, for plotting with the Lannisters. So, so this is kind of an odd addition. Uh, maybe another one of these kind of uh, just shove something in because we need to fill in time. Anyway, so it transitions to a terrible dinner. Uh, Stannis is not happy with the dinner. Uh, Selyse is being a, tip, a complete third wheel. She's C-blocking uh, Stannis. Um, Selyse tells a story about Stannis and her eating uh, book soup and then seagull stew. Uh, Selyse is concerned with her sinful child and wants to beat her, but, uh, but uh, Stannis refuses to allow her to beat her child. This suggests Mel talk to the child. And I forget, what's the kid's name? Uh, Shireen. Shireen, that's right. Uh, so Mel and Shireen, uh, Mel goes to talk to Shireen. Mel and Shireen discuss the uh, burnination that occurred outside. Mel attempts to rationalize the burning and tries to relate to Shireen. Uh, Mel and Shireen have a brief discussion of theology, and uh, Mel essentially explains that all of the other re- religions are bullshit except hers. 
Uh, it's the only one true religion, just as any uh, any uh, zealot would tell you about their religion. Yeah, so lots to say um, about this. So I feel like this is the biggest hint that uh, Shireen gets burned. I mean, for a couple of reasons. Number yeah. one, uh, the first thing we see is um, Solis being part and going along with and actually encouraging the burning or sacrifice of her family member. In this case, it's her brother. Later on, it'll be her kid. And then we hear her bitching at the dinner table about how the girl, you know, needs to find religion. So I feel like this is like kind of foreshadowing or uh, uh, telegraphing Shireen's eventual death. So I guess I appreciate this um, for that point. Uh, number two, Axel Florent. Uh, I, I, you're right. I think... Um, these people are killed because they were trying to broker a peace deal with the Lannisters because yeah. they assumed after uh, the Battle of the Blackwater, there was no hope. I mean, right now Stannis has got very little men. Um, you know, it, it looks grim for Stannis. I mean, it, it never looked good for Stannis, at least in the show. I can't, uh, from this point on, I don't I don't understand. But, um, uh, so Axel Florent was actually the Hand of the King, and... Um, this was when Davos got made Hand of the King, I believe, in the books after this guy was, uh, burned and, uh, because uh, he betrayed, uh, Stannis. Uh, I uh. guess there's a small change there, but, um, because I think, uh, Davos is already the Hand of the King or was made the Hand of the King a while back in the show. Um, but yeah, uh, and then Mel has this crazy religious thing where, you know, you get this in other religions where... There's only one hell child, and it's the one we're living in right now. Any religion that tells you, like, right now is so fucking terrible, <laughs> and, like, the afterlife is where everything's going to be great, uh, you know, it's it's never good times, because those people are going to use you. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, like saying, hey, all this is terrible, <laughs> everything is bullshit, it's going to be great later. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, that, that'll be a motivating force for you to do whatever um, sick task they want. Sure. Uh, anything else to say about this? Not not really. Uh, I, this whole thing just felt like filler as well. I um, agree. Like, uh, it was, so. I guess it's nice to check in, but uh, nothing really, nothing of consequence really happens, right? No, I don't think so. No. Okay, uh, next scene. Uh, we start with a first-person view of a wolf hunting a deer. Uh, de wolf catches deer, kills it, starts eating it. Uh, and the deer says, Hodor and Bran wakes up from the wolf dream. Uh, they inform that he's been asleep for hours and they're all hungry. Bran said he was actually eating. Jojen counters, that ain't, that ain't real. Uh, the wolf was eating. You were not getting any nourishment. Says if Bran continues to stay in summer too long, he'll forget that he's human. Mirror says, yes, they don't want to lose him because if they lose him, they lose everything. Who knows what that means? Um, they begin moving on, and Summer happens upon a weirwood tree. Hodor brings Bran to the tree, and Bran touches the trunk. Immediately, he starts having visions. A whole bunch of images and flashes, some of the stuff we've seen before, some we haven't. The most noticeable being, uh, notable being a flash of the face of the Night King, um, obscured by ice, which I didn't catch the first time I watched this. I don't think anybody did. Well, uh, the Iron Throne being in ruins. Um, 
or the cha- throne chamber or whatever, the, the same thing we saw with Danny, and the shadow of a dragon flying over a city, which I think we also saw in Danny's uh, vision as well. Um, then a voice of presumably the three-eyed crow says, look for me up north, look under the tree. Uh, Brandon wakes confidently knowing where the gang has to go. So my question is, what was their plan before this? If Brand now knows where the fuck they're going, was it just like, we're going to stumble along in the, we're just going to go north? I guess, just wander north. I I, I don't know if he had, they had kind of a, a general sense of where they needed to go. And then this, you know, they, they knew they had to go to a city, but they weren't sure what where in the city to go to. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, That's a good question. Okay, and then uh, I was thinking this might be the case, but now that you said that uh, George R. R. Martin wrote this episode, I'm thinking it really is the case that uh, we had foreshadowing of Hodor's death uh, by the deer that Bran killed as a wolf being Hodor in the dream. And yeah, maybe. alluding to uh, Hodor's eventual death. That's uh, Maybe. I wrote I don't it know. could be coincidence, but I think if George R. R. Martin wrote this episode, maybe that's... Uh, more confirmation that it's a hint. Yeah, that's 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 definitely possible. The uh, so let me ask you this: the dragon flying over King's Landing. Do you think that's from the f- the past or the future? I'd like to. My initial instinct is to think it's the future, but at the same time, uh, you would think those two events would be linked: the dragon flying over King's Landing in the future and the destruction of the Iron Throne uh, room. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But the throne room looks like it's a snowy, it looks like snow, some people think it's ashes, but it definitely looks like a cloudy, gross day or maybe time of year, whereas the dragon flying over the city in the flashback is nice and bright. Who knows if that's just, uh, I don't know. Do you think, yeah. do you understand what I'm saying? I think like it's two different time periods, uh, so sure. I, don't, I don't know what that that length of time is. Um but I'm going to go to answer your question. I'm going to say future. Okay. I, I, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I, I just wondered if you might know something more, but nope. it doesn't sound like you do. Absolutely. I know nothing <laughs> like Jon Snow. Uh, the one other question this scene made, uh, made pop in my head was, uh, Bran is able to control animals. Would he be able to control a dragon through his mind? Very good to come to this uh, conclusion. Uh, a lot of people have thought the same thing. Uh, uh, that is not to say that we know anything by that, but a lot of people theorize that Bran can warg a dragon. Yeah, so, but that he, I guess he could replace Tyrion among the final three dragon riders. I don't know, or I guess he could replace Jon Snow. Yeah, and uh, there's always a hope that there's a ice dragon, which is a very far-fetched theory. Uh, but, um... The one thing about that takes away from Bran taking control of a dragon, at least permanently, is uh, br- there's no way Bran is a Targaryen, whereas there's a possibility that uh, oh, Tyrion yeah. is. And we know, mm-hmm. so we got Danny, we know is a Targaryen. John, we now know is a Targaryen. And Tyrion, uh, possible Targaryen, um, but there's no way Bran is. Uh, not to say he wouldn't control a dragon maybe temporarily, I just don't see him being a permanent um, head of the dragon. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. All right. So next we go to the Sept of Baylor. Marge and Joff are married. Um, we see some crowd reactions. Uh, not everybody's thrilled. It doesn't appear. Uh, pretty quick transition to uh, everyone exiting the wedding. Uh, Queen of Thorns and Tywin 
are walking to the reception and talking. Uh, basically, Tywin complains about the cost of the wedding, which the uh, Queen of Thorns quickly brings up uh, all of the expenses that she's outlaid for the wedding and also to support uh, support the Lannisters, who, as we know, the Lannisters are actually in severe debt to the Iron Bank. Some good lines here. Uh, I did like the, uh, the, the line from... The Queen of Thorns of Tywin, you should try enjoying something before you die. Uh, that was good. And then, of course, uh, in the middle of that that section of the scene, uh, Mace walks up and <laughs> she yeah. just says, not now, Mace. Just like, oh, like, disarm him. Talking. Yeah, yeah. Gives him the uh, gives him the Heisman right in the face. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty quick scene, but I just, uh, I mean, I kind of, I don't want to keep saying filler over and over again. But uh, I get—I mean, it just again meant to bash into our heads the relationship between the Lannisters and the Tyrells at this point. I guess. I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I—I'm a big fan of the Queen of Thorns and Tywin talking. I thought that was great, but otherwise, yes. yeah, we have to. I guess we have to see the actual wedding before we get to the wedding uh, reception or party. Um, but it, and I want to ask you something: Isn't it crazy that? Um, there is some of it, but it seems like there's absolutely no Baratheon or stag iconography the entire time. Like, there's very little of it. Um, it seems like it's all Lannister all the time, and the whole reason that Joffrey is legitimate uh, is because he's the son of Robert Baratheon. Right? Yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't notice that, but yeah, that that does sound right. Like when he uh, drapes I mean, a cape over, it's all. It's all paternal um whatever inheritance so yeah he drapes a red cloak around marjorie that's you know it's weird like i know the baratheons like, are in charge so the lannisters aren't in charge right uh who's yeah. who's in charge here uh and once again i know that who's really in charge is one thing but you got to think that you got to pretend uh because it actually gives you all your legitimacy that joffrey is the son of the previous king no question yeah that's a good point I, and i don't know that, uh i mean i guess the the lannisters are yeah i don't know i don't I, yeah i don't know what to think about that i think it's mainly the show trying to simplify things um a little bit yeah uh, i know that like he has as his arms the uh the lion in the stag like quartered or halved whatever they call it uh where you know you see the flag and it's you know like Marilyn's flag is like crazy but it's also like two separate two or three different uh symbols kind of uh mm -hmm. sharing the same space uh but it just it seems odd to me because all this all this intrigue is all about inheritance and paternal inheritance at that so uh it's just odd <clears throat> yeah and now that it's when joffrey dies Oh, I guess Tom, I'm sorry, Tommen's a Baratheon as well, so, okay. Yeah, we can move on. <clears throat> okay, so I guess this is the, um, now we get to what we're all here for, which is the wedding reception, which takes up the entirety of the back half of the episode, so we're going to be taking a little bit of breaks here, but uh, a lot of stuff happens. So, Bronn, Tyrion, and Pod all arrive at the wedding reception. Uh, Bronn assures Tyrion that Shay did indeed get on a boat. He got her there, and he saw the boat leave, and she's now gotten the fuck out of Dodge, uh, the feast is an extravagant one, and it seems like any, everybody's there, so there's a lot of characters here, and they're all interacting. We start off with the Viper and his mistress, Ilaria Sand. Um, they, uh, I guess, pause to take in some kind of contortionist, because, um, you know, they want to have sex with everybody. 
the Queen of Thorns then goes over to fix Sansa's hair uh, and share her condolences about the loss of her brother. Um, she implores Sansa to come to Highgarden. Um, and during this scene, we'll talk about that this whole scene in a second because it's very uh, interesting. Joffrey then rudely dismisses uh, some musicians who I'm sure are real musicians in real life. Um, yeah, it's uh, Cigar Rose. Yeah, great. The I don't care. Icelandic weirdos. Yep, they're weirdos. I, uh, once again, I don't care. Um, so Why not? It's interesting. <laughs> I guess, but it doesn't really add anything to the story, and they're not really acting. It could have been like uh, the guy who brings in the meat cart. Hey, stand there and uh, you know pretend to sing. Uh, anyway, someone's wearing cranky pants today. Uh, I know. Gee. I just I think you know m- musicians don't belong in <laughs> as actors, and even if they are, who cares? Um, Stay in your lane, buddy. Yeah, okay. Uh, then Joffrey announces that it's time for the queen to give a speech. Marjorie thanks the gods, gives a little prayer, and says that uh, the poor will receive the scraps from the, from the meal. That's, that's <laughs> exactly what I thought. <laughs> Did it's you write scraps? A, yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> giving scraps to poor is very self-congratulatory. It's like if you yeah. had to eat a bunch of food, you're so full, and you've got a little left over, and you give your your to-go <laughs> box to the uh, homeless man on the corner. Yeah. Here's my garbage. You Here's, yeah, now. you throw it away or eat it, whatever. I gotta go. But I guess there is some value because they could feed the animals uh, there with the food as Cersei later orders. So it's not like they're – they wouldn't just be throwing it away, I doubt. But Yeah, still. it reminds me of like in bullfights – like once they kill the bull, they will slaughter the meat and give it to the poor. I think, um, but this seems even more ridiculous um, because they're like, it's not like the the rich people are eating the bull and then going, oh, you can have what's left over. Um, it it it. You're right. It just seems like self congratulatory bullshit. Anyway, Oberyn makes eyes at Loras, um, who then, uh, you know, I guess alluding to maybe they could fool around. Uh, but Loras bumps into Jamie, who threatens him um, and tells, says, if you marry my sister, she'll kill you or kill any babies you might want to have. Uh, but that'll never happen. And he gets a good jab in saying, well, you'll never marry her either. And then he gives him a little pat and scampers off. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Um, Brienne approaches the king's table and offers her respects. I don't know why. Uh, later, as she leaves, Cersei approaches her Um and thanks her for bringing Jamie back to the capital, but then quickly accuses her of being a flip-flopper who has no allegiance to anybody, uh, and also being in love with her brother. I want to pause there for a second. Okay, let's go back to um, the Queen of Thorns fixing uh, Sansa's hair. This is when the shit goes down, and if you paid attention yes. to it, so she grabs one lock of her hair, then the other, then she, the, her chin, then goes to the necklace, and she pull something that if you pay attention it's definitely her pulling uh the the stone off and this is cut to another shot where sansa's wearing her necklace and there's like a series of triangles and on one triangle uh conspicuously missing is one of the stones yes yes uh, yeah and i did not pick up on this at all the first time I watched the show and actually didn't even realize that's exactly how it happened until uh, I watched or read something online about how it all went down. Uh, I don't remember watch this happening either. Uh, although I knew in the book she was wearing a hairnet and it made more sense to, Hey, your hair's somebody's <laughs> the wind's been at your hair. Let me touch your hair. It made a little bit more sense in the book, but, um, but it seems obvious yeah. now. That, yeah. Uh, it, it, yes. And it's a, it's, she's got the great line while she's doing this. 
she says something to the effect of uh, killing a man at a wedding. It's just terrible. Yeah, while she's in the awesome. middle of that. It's, yeah, and but the real thing that was odd to me is wh- why? Why not just bring poison? Other than if they wanted to implicate Sansa in the in the assassination. I think that's the point. Yeah, but but at the I mean, same time, uh, you're right. I, I guess if she got caught, because the the assumption here is that Littlefinger and the Tyrells, or at least the Queen of Thorns, are in cahoots here. And, um, you know, the necklace was given to Dantos by uh, Littlefinger, who in turn gives it to Sansa. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know why. It's not like they have to go through TSA to go to this wedding. You would think that, you know, the Queen of Thorns could just hide that shit in between her bosom and then pop it out and do whatever she's going to do later. Yeah, I mean, the only reason would be to implicate Sansa, which is stupid because they are also attempting to rescue Sansa. Yeah. Like all this shit could have gone down, and they could have just walked Sansa out peacefully with nobody worrying about her. You know, I don't yeah. Get it well, I mean, they could have. You're right. Uh, I guess it's it's an unknown. Like it's a, um, you know, because Sansa is a she doesn't have any uh, knowledge. You know what I mean? She's kind of culpable but she's not like if they interrogate Sansa she won't know shit um so I guess yeah, they'll still some, fucking kill her right of course but they won't be able to implicate the Tyrells but I would think you could do this with anybody you could you know give one of the handmaidens uh, a necklace or have somebody else like Dantos or somebody else give a serving person this necklace and then go over and say hey you serving neck serving girl come over here i need to fix your shit i, I it's weird i don't understand it maybe uh you guys can explain yeah. it to us in comments on the website which you never do so well I, yeah i mean it's not like anybody would turn around and think it was the tyrells in the first place because right. the tyrells stared the most to gain through this wedding right. so i don't just seem kind of silly but you hit on most of the, the things i wrote down as i went you know the but you the one thing that you didn't mention was the uh I thought was funny was Oberon and the sand skank staring staring at the contortionist. Yeah. And then and Pod also like did like a triple take at at the contortionist. I don't understand uh, why con- this seems to be like a fetish. It's like it's like yeah. Quentin Tarantino's feet thing. Like there this has been like the second or third time we've had a contortionist prostitute or contortionist being looked upon as sexy. I mean, I guess flexibility is something desirable if you're going to have sex, but uh, I don't, <laughs> it's not something that's on my, you know, on my Tinder checklist, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Uh, I, I don't either. Uh, all right, good. Um, I just think it, oh, she's got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> but then again, I'm thinking that most of the time when I'm being intimate. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, yes. Yeah, what else? Um uh, I, yeah, I didn't. I also wrote down what is Brienne doing here. Yeah, why uh, is she? Uh, why is this happening? Yeah, the Jamie and Loras uh, never will you line. I, I, Jamie's pretty reckless here. I mean, he's basically admitted. I mean, through his actions, he's admitting that he's banging his sister. Although I guess everybody knows it. Um, yeah, I, I don't have much to add because I think you hit on the the big points. Yeah, but I uh, okay. So I I kind of enjoyed the Jamie and. Um, uh, Laura's scene, whereas I yes. thought the Cersei and Brienne scene was dumb, uh, yeah, and needless, it's pointless to me. Yeah, yeah. I guess they just uh, well, wanted to make it like equal, like Jamie's doing it, so Cersei's got to do it because they're twins, so they get both get equal time. It's dumb. Yeah, and I don't even know what the the point of the conversation was. So 
Cersei finds out that Brienne is in love with with uh, with Jamie, but I don't even know that it's a romantic love or if it's just like uh, you know the hero worship kind of thing that she does. Right. Um, you know, I guess maybe it puts Brienne in danger because Cersei won't have anyone competing for Jamie's affections. But I don't even know if she gives a shit about Jamie at this point. Yeah. Based on the conversations in the last episode, and she's been she was banging around with her cousin when he was out of town. So. I just yeah I there's so that raised more questions than it answered and I don't know that any of the questions are ever answered or they need to be or even who gives a shit you know I think they just they they wanted an interaction with all these characters whether it made sense or not and yeah. all the other ones kind of did except for this one or most of them did yeah one other thing though is we get to see the uh, new Tommen. Um, which yep. you know they they really aged him up for the purposes of the show they aged everybody the book, up but yeah. But him significantly more. I think he was like an eight year old or or something in the in the. Well, Sansa books. was thirteen in the book, so like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, at least she's on the precipice of uh, sexual maturity. Where here they yeah they get like some. Uh, I mean, they basically took a instead of a kindergartner, they've got, uh, you know, like a preteen in the show. But he was he was funny in the books because he was just this idiot kid <laughs> yeah. who's always playing with cats and naming them things like Sir Pounce and just like. I think I thought that would have worked in the show. Um, I thought so it too. Would've, it would have made it more like it would have made it more deplorable. These people, like uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of this innocence, and it would have made the the whole situation seem more ridiculous. Like this child is ruling, like truly a child king. Um, yes, yes. I, I that, agree that, with you. That's kind of lost. But then again, it, it would also probably on screen be weirder for Marjorie to marry him. Uh, and also wouldn't allow her to engage in sexual manipulation, which I think is a large part of what she does uh, to Tommen in the show. I, I agree and with you, and I disagree with you, because I think they could have, instead of sexual manipulation, uh, Marjorie could have shown maternal manipulation and been almost like Tommen's like, new mommy, which is kind of what she becomes anyway, but she does it through sex. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. it would have been fine, too, for her to marry Tommen as... Common being a child, I think would have been more ridiculous. I just like the idea of the power structure being ridiculous um, because it is. Yes. I mean, it just and, it, yeah. and, it, and by looking ridiculous, it would illustrate that it actually is ridiculous. All right. No question. Uh, let me see. Let's get back on track here. So um, after um, the interaction with Cersei and Brienne, Cersei goes over to talk to Pycelle, who's fucking creeping on some, some young girl uh, yeah, asking dude. her to come by for an inspection, <laughs> which is uh, hilarious and disgusting at the same time. Um, but Cersei, I guess, is really insulted by his this whatever Pycelle's doing. Um, so she insults and threatens him right away, and then instructs him to uh, have all the leftovers fed to the dogs instead of given to the poor. I didn't understand her motivation for being so angry with Pycelle. Like, why would she care what Pycelle does to this woman when she gives women to Kyburn to experiment on and kill? Uh, well, I weird. think that that might be the point, is that she's in the process of forcing out Pycelle right. uh, to place it with Kyburn, and so any transgression she'll just hound on, just to hound on. Yeah, but why? Like, you could just fire him. Like, you don't have to, or make him disappear. Like, Can she? Yeah, she can have him killed. I don't understand. It's not that hard to get... Uh, to ha to have these people be dismissed, uh, I don't know. I think that'd be a member of the small council, the the grand maester in the city. I mean, I think that's a bigger 
transgression, then you know we're just replacing some guard or so. I mean, well, I think that would probably just be just like insulting him to his face is not going to do anything. It's not going to make him angry enough to quit. So no. I don't see what this is accomplishing. But just like, uh, and I could see Cersei venting on somebody. It just doesn't make sense for her to vent on by cell. If she was, if someone's useless, I wouldn't give him any time. You know what I mean? I wouldn't mm-hmm. spend time and energy being angry at him. Uh, but the, I think the the bigger point here is that she instructs him to do this task because she's a petty person and she doesn't want the poor to have any scraps. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it also uh, in doing that, if the scraps did go, then it would uh, it would make the commoners like uh, Joffrey and Marjorie even more. So that might be part of her motivation is to uh, try to stave off some public adulation through that act. I guess, but she's not. She's not vying for the love of the poor either she's just like no. hey if you know she's not like saying tell tell the poor it's from me like or tell people yeah. like that would make more sense to me it's just it's just her being petty and wanting to hurt marjorie um i, I don't know but it seems like no one will find out so who cares yeah agreed. It, it doesn't make much sense um but yeah um that's uh where we're gonna take a break and i guess switch off and you're gonna take over yep Sure. So uh, Tywin, Cersei, Ilaria, and Oberon meet. Uh, Cersei makes a point of noting that Ilaria is a bastard, uh, to which Oberon responds that uh, bastards are not necessarily frowned upon down in uh, Dorne. Uh, Oberon, in turn, uh, taunts Cersei for losing her prestige. She's now the, uh, what is she, queen regent to just a lady? Yeah. Uh, There's a taunt regarding uh, the prince having gout, which Oberon says is a rich man's disease. No wonder the Lannisters have not contracted it. Uh, Then Oberon goes into how he finds uh, rape and murder of children uh, distasteful. Uh, It just really sets up how uh, completely at odds these two families are, uh, even more so than the rest of the families. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Yeah, let's let's take it Mm -hmm. point by point here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed the shit out of this scene. I think the guy who plays yes. the Viper did a fucking excellent job acting of being like casual and also tense and somewhat uncomfortable. Um, he was fucking great um, in this scene. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, this this like banter back and forth, and then what ultimately ends the conversation is like, well, yeah, you know what? I have your daughter, so and your granddaughter. Um, <laughs> I could hurt her whenever I want. Uh, basically, how how this ends. And they, they I didn't even, shit to say I didn't about even that. think about that. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even. I just. I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. <clears throat> so yeah, of course he's he's bringing up the fact that you know his sister and her children were raped and murdered, um, to Tywin, but it's also linking that behavior with um, having Marcella and Dorne. And, yeah, you know, I, he, I, I didn't if, pick up on that. If the whim takes him, he can do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he was more just saying. You guys are pieces of shit for doing that. I, I didn't even pick oh, up. Oh, he's the, definitely the saying threat. that, but he's also uh, linking it and veiled th- or not so veiled threat to Marcella. Yes, absolutely. Well, veiled enough so that I didn't pick up on it. Oh, okay. Well, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we go to Joff, and he clears out the dance floor for a um, a little show he wants to put on. It's a uh, five king war of the five kings reenactment by a troop of little people. Uh, there's, it's really pretty brutal. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, they, they basically mocks all of the people below him in terms of the power. Uh, for instance, the, uh, the, uh, Baratheon, what's the younger Renly. Baratheon's name? Renly is, uh, instead of a steed, he has Loris, uh, for his mouth. <laughs> Which is just fucking uh, ridiculous. Yeah, 
exactly. Uh, he's taunting Sansa through the um, through a, uh, a, a a wolf head being on top of someone and being lopped off. Uh, everyone's su- forced to suffer this ignominy. Um, it's uh, you can see it's really funny it, it, looking that when the camera shows different people watching this because you kind of see like the people who have no sense laughing at the thing and then everyone else who has some degree of sense um, just a pissed off as hell, including various who gets hit in the head by one of the players as he runs around. And so this is an interesting scene. It's a big change from the book too. And I think it's actually better than the book. Yeah. In um, the, in the, right. The, the, in the book, it's just uh, two dwarves, two dwarves jousting. One dwarf is riding a pig and one's riding a dog. And it has yes. less to do with the actual scene. But I think this was interjected by uh, George Martin because right before this episode came out, he released a teaser um, chapter for The Winds of Winter, and it's called Mercy, in which, uh, you know, Arya is an actor in a troupe, and she is doing a play about the War of the Five Kings. Um, and it's somewhat humorous like this. Um, so I think it's kind of like a melding of the two uh, situations. Um, but yeah, I think this is better than, yeah, just dwarves. And once again, the dwarves were there on Littlefinger's, uh, command in the books and intentionally to get, um, piss off Tyrion. And of course, uh, Jamie or, um, what's his name? Joffrey was like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. Let's piss off my uncle. Yeah. No question about it. Um, yeah. And I also read that they didn't go with the, uh, one of the reasons for the change was, that they could not find pigs large enough for a little person to ride. There's also, uh, oh, I don't uh, they believe were, that. Uh, you can definitely find <laughs> pigs big enough for a little person to ride. <laughs> they were, well, wherever the hell they were filming, there's also uh, animal cruelty concerns as well. Oh yeah. But I think this, I think this is a much better scene than than the book uh, in terms of this section of it. Certainly. Yeah, but the I, the best part is just how fucking brutal it was. Like you said, he's directly insulting. His, in, his Every, new yeah. in-laws, especially. Yes. Everybody there, but yeah. especially his new in-laws. And his, his, uh, his uncle's wife. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he's doing that like maniac laugh throughout it, like over laughing as a point. Yeah. Like, laughing so hard he's spitting out wine. <laughs> yes. So next, uh, Joff, at the conclusion of the, uh, the reenactment, uh, Joff asks if anyone wants to challenge his reign and specifically asks Tyrion if he wants to join in. Uh, Tyrion sasses Joff, including hoping that he doesn't lose his uh, <laughs> virginity before the. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as part of the battle, I, I guess that is meant to mean that he would have been uh, banged by or banged one of the other people, the the little people. I don't know. Anyways, um, but it, most of uh, Tyrion's chafes towards Joff were regarding his role at Blackwater and how he didn't do anything. At that, uh, Joff responds by slowly walking over and pouring wine over Tyrion's head. Marge attempts to intercede by saying it's time for the feast. Um, uh, but uh, being that he has no wine, Joff makes Tyrion his cupbearer. Uh, Joff continues to be Joff, more or less, kind of kicking the cup around the room, uh, demanding that Tyrion kneel. And before Tyrion kneels, uh, fortuitously, the pie arrives. So you want to stop there and, and kind of go over... Sure. Um, I I guess, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything to add besides just, uh, I love how it was, it was a good tense scene. And uh, during all this, even going forward, Joff is just slowly, even the people that were on his side laughing during the, um, 
the whole yes. tour fight, even they're feeling uncomfortable. It's like you'd never see this in today's uh, society where like the the ruler, the head guy of the nation, like um, is just ostracizing Jesus. everybody, <laughs> even his inner circle. Like this would just never happen. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Absolutely. there's there's not much to say except for I love how the tension just built and built and built. It was good. Yeah, and I remember watching this the first time and not uh, not really anticipating where this was going. I remember just watching this and going, God, this is so awful for all these people in the show. And uh, I mean, the crescendo that it builds to is just, I mean, it's incredible. So so next, uh, the pie arrives and, uh, and Joffrey opens the pie with his Valyrian steel sword and leaving some odd, uh, some dead pigeons, which I guess is meant to depict his cruelty. I'm sure there's a way to open the pie without killing the pigeons. Well, I thought it was um, also meant just like the opening scene, I guess, and just like this whole like extravagantly beautiful like wedding party. Like everything, oh look, a beautiful cake. It's everything's well and good, and then at the end, oh well, it's not so well and good. Uh, so just sure. like uh, you know, just like the old rope dope that we got in the very first scene, um, this cake is something beautiful, but also there underneath all of it is, you know, some cruel a cruel act is that <laughs> is really underneath it all, um, or yeah, how no it's going to end. Good metaphor. So uh, Marge appears to have Joffrey under control. He's, she's feeding him pie, and then you see his face kind of tick, and he realizes he should be torturing someone instead of enjoying his wedding day. He turns back to Tyrion and sees that Tyrion is attempting to leave. Joff tells him to stay because he needs a uh, his wine as his cupbearer. Uh, Tyrion fills his wine, attempts to leave, but uh, at that time, uh, Joff begins to choke and vomit. Panic ensues. Dantos appears from out of nowhere and tells Sansa, uh, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> Just uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and while uh, while uh, in the process of biting it, Joff points to Tyrion, who is picking up the wine cup. And Cersei and probably no one else is sad. <laughs> uh, and then Cersei accuses Tyrion of poisoning Joffrey. And he, he did. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I kind of liked how they set this up almost like a uh, the movie Clue in which like I guess a couple people could have done it because you have the situation where the goblet drops on the floor and goes underneath the table and then Sansa gets it so she could have put something into the wine cup mm-hmm. um, you know um it, uh Marjorie is feeding him um uh, maybe she had something to do with it uh you know because uh, you know, and then it cuts to the Queen of Thorns at one point, just her face. So it was all this like who done it kind of situation. But you know, in retrospect, we know who did it, um, or maybe even before this. But um, I did like they were planting like they were setting it up as a mystery or who done it. So I kind of like that. Um, yeah, I agree. Another thing is, I thought uh, Tyrion or Joffrey looks almost like a weirwood. Or at least he looked brutal uh, by his eyes being bloodshot. He just had red eyes and a red mouth or nose in this case. So he kind of looked yeah. like a weirwood, especially with his pale skin. So I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of nice too because they often do that, especially like, you know, Ghost has the same thing going on. He's a white white uh, dog with red eyes and a red mouth, um, just like the weirwoods. Other than sure. that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all shocking. It's all great. And it's uh, episode two, which I guess is... a. Uh, it's a nice departure from the original uh, pattern that we get where only episode nines are the most shocking. So, Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, it is. 
uh, good finish, really good finish again, second week in a row. Took uh, this one instead of last week's elevating a terrible episode to being at least watchable. This elevated kind of a, a mediocre episode to a pretty good episode. I thought. Okay, and on that note, uh, how do you want to rate this? <sighs> you know, I, I don't. Somewhere be, I can't decide between a three point five and a four. Um, yeah, I'll go four. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, why not? Because it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> so. Yeah, it does. It what, Number one, these ratings mean nothing. They influence and no one's opinion. Uh, yes. So, yeah, they are meaningless. But at the same time, I think I enjoyed the wedding so much that, like, you know, everything else kind of... You're right. It, it took a mediocre episode and elevated it. Um, but, you know, I'd watch the whole episode, I think, again, just to watch the, uh, the wedding scene. So that says something. Um, mm-hmm. And there were just great performances all around uh, except for Shane. yeah and i i did like that again it was the sassiest episode <laughs> yeah i so think many, they should <laughs> so many funny things i should have won an emmy for sassiest episode yes <laughs> and the emmy for most sassy okay so uh, i guess there's nothing else uh to talk about nothing to wrap up i'm I, I am enjoying this season more than season three so i guess jim was right about that um yeah, I mean, just the stunners. I mean, the end end of these episodes. Um, and, and you know, I I did not see Joffrey getting killed when I watched this the first time. I had no clue that was coming. So that was a hell of a shock, and also uh, a great deal of relief as well. Um, and you know, when you had the mystery, and also how to what happens after this, because if you're not a book reader, you have you probably don't really know that Tommen would be elevated to be the king. You didn't right. you didn't even realize Tommen was still there for the most part. Because you're like, who's that kid? I thought he was killed a few episodes ago. Well, let me ask you this. Um, uh, because yeah. because it's shocking, were you celebratory? Were you like, because I know a lot of people like, yes, Joffrey's fucking dead. Um, and I wanted Joffrey to die, too, when I when I got to the scene in the books. But it just seemed, you know, for some reason, and, and I think the writing uh, was better or made you be confronted with the fact that Joffrey's just a kid. You know what I mean? As terrible as he is, this is a mm-hmm. child and his mother's watching her own child slowly choke to death and can't do anything. Um, it, it brought a certain level of sympathy, but I wonder, how did you feel about it? Was it just like, that's just shocking and that's all you can feel is shock? Or were you, you said relief as well? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the worst. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted him dead. I don't care about I his, his mom's dead. the worst too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, and I, I, one thing we didn't mention um, is that uh, this has this the episode has actually been colloquially referred to as the purple wedding. Yeah, I guess for um, his final color, Joffrey turning purple when he chokes. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and once again, we're not going to refer to it as Joffrey's wedding because that's kind of boring. So we'll refer yeah. to it as purple wedding going forward. All right, guys, great, uh, great episode, rocky start for me, but uh, you know, Brian, good job all around, and uh, look forward to doing another one. So, uh, there's nothing else. I guess we will see you next Tuesday. Take care, guys. Right? Yes. Bye. Bye. <laughs>